You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse, and that is the Navigator Series. Now, they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the Atlas series within that as well. So go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have. I've been using mine for a couple weeks now, and I am very impressed with the the fit and the feel, and I can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run. So lacrossefootwear.com, check them out. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald. This is episode number 69 Today, we're continuing on with our Turkey Season podcast, and we're talking to Drew Abel, the founder and owner of Foot on the Head Custom Calls. Drew is a great turkey hunter, a great guest. We talk about some really cool stuff that hopefully will make you a better turkey hunter in the future. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Alright, welcome back to another episode. This is episode number 69 of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And as we sit right now, March 12th, as I'm recording this. Now you guys are going to hear it a day or two later when it comes out. March 12th, we are nine days away from the turkey season opener here in Alabama. And I've got to tell you, I am freaking fired up. I'm so excited about turkey season. I know a lot of you guys are as well. And uh, it's going to be a good one, man. It's going to be awesome. If we can get this rain to stop, it seems like it rains every single day, all day, with no breaks. And uh, I'm just hoping God's like, hey, I'm going to get all this rain out the way so you turkey hunters can have your time. And uh, you can enjoy a month of no rain and not have to worry about crops drying out or anything like that. I hope that's what he's thinking. Probably not. If you are a turkey hunter, you probably know that uh, it rains during turkey season a lot. And it'll randomly just start thundering and lightning while you're out in the field. And uh, it can turn into a miserable experience real quick. But uh, I'm looking forward to it still. Every single year is always a blast. Always learn a ton. And I'm hoping that you guys will learn a ton from this episode. I tried something new with Drew and talking about just different scenarios. I asked him questions based on certain scenarios. A lot of them are ones that I found myself in and I had questions about what I should do in in this scenario. I know a lot of you guys probably are the same way. You're thinking about, um, you know, you've got a turkey that's gobbling. How close do I get? You got a turkey that's not gobbling. You know there's turkeys in the area. What do you do next? What's your next move? So I asked him a lot of these questions and Drew, who is a turkey killer, Got a very, very high success rate as a turkey hunter. Um, answer some of those, how he would handle certain situations. Hopefully that'll help you out this season as you guys get in the turkey woods. We also talk about Foot on the Head, which is Drew's company. It's his uh, his turkey call company. 
We got a lot of cool stuff. We talk about that. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, I am just so fired up, stinking fired up for turkey season. Hopefully you guys are getting that way too. Um, before we get into this episode, I want to uh, let you guys all know uh, I've been getting ready for turkey season and posted a video on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel of uh, how I pattern my turkey gun. If you've never done it before, it might be a, uh, a good educational video to see how some people are doing it. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not really even that good at it, but uh, I have done it a few times. So if you want to watch that, give it a, uh, a view and um, subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, before we get into it, I want to let you guys know again about a discount code. You can save 15%. That's 15%. That's like $15 if you spend $100 off your purchase at screegear.com. Excellent camo. Um, the patterns are awesome. I, I like the summer Summit pattern. Um, man, these guys know what they're doing when it comes to making... Uh, a layering system for hunters all across the globe really um, I have found the system that works for me best here in the south is the hard scrabble set that's my favorite set that I have from Scree gear but also run the base layers have been great um, I'm planning on running some of the early season stuff for turkey season this year and uh, I'm just really looking forward to it uh, but yeah go check it out screegear.com save 15% by using the code Southern Ground, all lowercase, all one word, at checkout. Um, and one little note about this episode is there was a little bit of interference, some weird noises that kind of happened and uh, interrupted the phone call. And uh, so it may drop out for a couple of seconds, nothing too bad. You're still going to get to hear everything that we talk about. But there is some, uh, some audio interference in this episode, so just remember that while you're listening to it. But don't stop listening because it is a really good conversation. That's going to be it, guys. You guys enjoy this episode with Drew Abel, a foot on the head. All right, welcome back to the show. On the line with me right now, we have Drew Abel from Foot on the Head. Drew, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Everything's going well today. How about you? And it is, uh, it's sunny outside, kind of. Uh, I've, I've seen like a, a, a little bit of a, a break in the clouds. We had rain all day yesterday, but if all we get is just a, a glimpse of the sun today, that is good enough for me, man. Yesterday was was pretty crazy and muggy and wet, and I'm just looking forward to turkey season. I'm trying to get all this rain out of the way before the season starts so we can have a, a good turkey season, man. That's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been wet up way too. So I'm I'm excited to get some dry weather. And, and the sun popped out a little bit yesterday afternoon for us, and it was like, man, after that rain had gone away and the sun came out, I just knew there was going to be some birds out in some fields and just really itching, you know, itching to get back after them in a couple weeks. Oh yeah. So we've got what is it like ten days, ten nine days till the season starts yeah. here in Alabama. Mm. Yep, that's right. It's coming quick, man. It is It is coming quick, and I am probably more prepared this year than I have been ever, which is great. Um, but I know that you've got a little bit of a kind of a I – don't, I don't, I'm not going to say a, a change of plans because you've been um, having to prepare for this for the last few months, but 
Uh, why don't you tell us what you got going on coming, what, like tomorrow? Something like that? Yeah, man. So tomorrow is actually our, my wife and I. We're having a little baby girl. Uh, so she's due on March the 13th, which is actually tomorrow. So it's uh, it's been a little hectic for us. Unlike you, I am not prepared for turkey season. I have not <laughs> shot my gun yet. I have not really broke in that many calls for myself. Um so, so it's a little bit different for us, but, you know, it's uh, it's all welcome. I mean, we're excited, you know, for baby girl to get here and that, that change in life. So we're uh, we're excited about that, that hopefully everything goes well. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess if my wife doesn't have her tomorrow, we scheduled a C-section for Monday. So at the very latest, we'll be having a baby girl on the 16th. Man, well, that's uh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Is this your first one? Thank you, man. We appreciate it. No, this is actually our second. So we've got a little boy. His name's Lincoln, and he's uh, he's two and a half right now. So that'll be about two and a half years apart. Okay, okay. So so it's nothing new for you. It's uh, you know, balancing out having kids and being a turkey hunter or deer hunter or whatever. That's that's nothing new for you. But um, man, I I know I can speak for a lot of people listening to this podcast that it definitely changes the dynamic. Um, of being able to get out and hunt. I, I was listening to uh, a buddy of mine named Adam Cruz. Uh, I don't know if you know Adam, but he lives up in Tennessee. He's a good friend of mine. He was he posted uh, on Facebook, I guess it was last year, and he said it was like 10 things that uh, make a great turkey hunter, and one of them was uh, not being married, and another one was not having kids. <laughs> That's because you got to spend time in the woods. And it's true, but, man, the trade-off is – is not even close, dude. Like having kids, just the joy that you get from that stuff. There's, there's nothing like it, for sure, for sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, you know, when you got when you got two little ones at the house, or you know, right now I've only got one. I'm fixing to have two and a wife, family, and everything. It uh, it changes things for sure. But I definitely like to say that they change for the better. Like you said, there's nothing, nothing like having a little rug rat everywhere to take care of and play with and that type thing so those memories are are very welcomed oh yeah well you know the thing is is that um i mean you only i was looking at my little girl the other day she's she just turned three in february and uh we were going back and and watching some videos of her when she was a baby and then when she was uh a year old and just kind of watching the progression of her grow and then now she's like getting herself out of bed and she can say anything. She doesn't stop talking and she wants to do everything on her own. She wants to climb the stairs by herself. She wants to do all this mm-hmm. stuff, being Miss Independent. And I'm like, please just just stop growing. Like, just stay right there where you're yeah. at and and everything will be okay. And it's like I've heard a lot of guys say, you know, you can go out and and you can use these early years of watching your kids grow and you can just go hunt and do your thing and and miss out on it if that's what's important to you but what every single person I've ever met that says that same thing that did that thing they say they wish they wouldn't have done it they wish they would have just spent time with their family you can always you're only going to get so many of these years man watching them grow up and then one day they're going to move out and you're not going to have them anymore and you're going to think man why did I waste that time going out and doing something yep. that I, I can do now you know and so, man, yeah. it, it's, uh, we did a, we did an episode with my wife not too terribly long ago talking about that. And if anybody's listening to this and, uh, they want to hear a conversation from the perspective sure. of a, of a family 
kind of the family dynamic and marriage dynamic of an outdoorsman. Um, you can go back and listen to that. I'm not sure what episode it was, but it was right before deer season this year. Um, and uh, we can uh, we can post a link to that on Facebook so you can hear that. It's just a really good good episode. Um, talking from my wife's perspective, my wife's perspective on being married to a uh, a hunter. I think it's called uh, what is it? The Confessions of a Deer Season Widow is what that episode was called. So go and check that out. But so so you're having a baby, Drew. You're having a baby like probably. Yeah. Sometime between tomorrow and Monday, uh, turkey season yep. starts on the 21st, which is next Saturday. Um, yep. Do you have plans to be in the woods next Saturday? It's going to be dependent, but I plan to be in the woods um, unless something goes drastically wrong with everything. Um, I may not hunt all day. Um, but I'll hopefully get to be in the woods at least for a few hours. I don't know what that looks like as far as morning or afternoon yet, but um, hopefully I'll get the opportunity to be out there for at least a few hours. So that's the that's the plan as of right now. Man, it's uh, <laughs> power to you, man. I hope you get to go out there. But, uh, dude, so we were talking earlier. Uh, you kind of mentioned that uh, you knew the birds were going to be in the fields and stuff yeah. like that. Are you, uh, are you, have you been out scouting or, or getting any of that stuff ready for the season? So I've been out two days. Um, one day just, just rode out probably, I don't know, about lunchtime or so and scouted around on some new ground that I picked up this year and, uh, found some scratching and stuff. So I was pretty excited about that and then, and then got to get out, um, the next morning after the Okay. Okay. Day, me and the buddy went out to his place, so we heard some we heard some birds on him, and so that was fun. So I, I haven't done very much scouting. Uh, the, the properties that I normally hunt, birds usually you know are kind of in the same pattern for early season. So I, I have a really good idea, you know, just from hunting the properties for the past couple of years on where where they're going to be and patterns and that type of thing. Um, I still do like to go listen because it obviously doesn't hurt anything, um, and if things do change just a little bit, I'm aware of them, but. So, yeah, so hopefully I'll have a, a good idea on where, where one's going to be either Saturday morning or afternoon. Heck, yeah. So what kind of what kind of terrain are you hunting up there um, as far as, like, mountains or cropland? What kind of what kind of stuff are you hunting? Man, I hunt a little bit of all of it, honestly, but I would say 80% is probably mountain, mountain birds and mountain turkeys, um, just – you know, and I love it. A lot of people hate it just because it's it's rugged and it's tough and it's steep and it's tough to hunt. You know, but um, man, I killed my first turkey in Jackson County when I was seven, and um, you know, I've just done it my whole life, and so I'm accustomed to it. And you know, it just it's one of those things that's almost inside of me now, um, and and I I enjoy the challenge of it, even though it's a little tougher than you know than hunting crop ground or flat ground or anything like that, just as far as terrain goes. Um, I just, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, that's kind of, kind of where I'm at. I've got uh, permission on a private piece this year and it is flat. And I mean, it's got a few ridges and stuff on it, but for the most part, it's flat cropland. I'm really looking forward to it because I've really cut my teeth on Eastern birds in the mountains. Um, mostly public mm-hmm. land stuff. And so that's all I've really been used to. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, man. Like part of me is like, man, I'm just really look, I love the, 
I just love the it, it, it works the same with with deer too. I like being able to read terrain and guess how they're going to travel on it. Uh, with a field, you kind of you've got field edges. Turkeys are a little bit different than deer in that aspect, but um, you kind of have a concentrated area that you know they're going to be somewhere close by, which is fun, which is a blast, you know, especially when you're going out listening to birds and listening to them gobble <laughs> in the mornings. It's fun to hear them gobble, but man, there's something about that mountain aspect that really just uh, really just fires me up because I don't know about you, um, but for me, it does not seem like these birds in the mountains of North Alabama are roosting in the same spot like they're not super patternable like a lot of field birds are which is kind of fun you know (laughs) it definitely yeah yeah man it is fun um and it's very frustrating all at the same time um i'm kind of like you my experiences have been the same man these mountain turkeys um at least where i hunt don't don't normally roost in the same spot now they may be close and and when i say close on I say probably within a hundred and fifty to two hundred yard stretch, so that you know I'm not I'm not saying same tree every night, but they're you know same general area, um, but that still makes it tough, you know, um, especially yeah. if you don't have the opportunity, you know, like, like one thing with me having a family, like we talked about earlier, you know, I kind of I've, I've got to pick my times to hunt, so I usually enjoy hunting mornings um, more often than evenings, um, and, and so, you know, I may, I may be on a bird, he may be in this tree, you know, this morning I don't kill him. So I go back and I set up in the dark, you know, in that spot. And then he's, you know, 125 yards down, down the bench from me or something like that. So yeah, it's frustrating, you know, but that's just, that's part of it. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is in mountain terrain, um, or in any kind of hills, just any kind of steep terrain, uh, 150 yards can be the difference in, you know, three or four uh, ridges that you have to climb and go back down and climb and go down and climb and go down. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not just walking 150 yards. You're, you could be in, you know, a, in for a 30 minute hike just to get 150 yards to where that bird's roosted at. Um, and that's tough. That's a, that's a tough aspect, but it's a very rewarding thing. And if anybody listening to this has not done it, Man, go try it, especially out here in North Alabama. You got all kinds of opportunities to go and do that on public land. If you got some yeah. private land, man, it's it's definitely different, and it's a ton of fun. It is so much fun, and um, definitely. So, so, so going going kind of back to uh, just the patterns. You mentioned that earlier, trying to get a pattern on birds. And I last week we talked to Catman um, in Tennessee. And he mentions a lot of the same stuff. He goes out and scouts, and he and he tries to get a pattern on them. But when you're looking for a a, a spot, like you're just looking on a map and saying, okay, I could see a bird traveling from here to here during the day, loafing here, um, strutting around right here. If you're looking at a map, Drew, in a mountain, a mountainous terrain area, what are you looking for that screams turkey? Yeah, if I'm looking at a map, man, I'm going to look for these, these fingers and these point, points. Um, I've found at least the properties that I've hunted on. Um, man, that birds really like to get on on these points and strut and, and just loaf, especially in the middle of the day. Um, they can see well. You know, they've got good vantage points. Um, a lot of time when you get out on some of these points, there's a little flat or bench right there behind it that, that's going to be pretty open and flat. And, you know, so so – 
as far as like something coming up behind them, um, you know, it's going to be really tough for any type of predator or, or hunter, to, you know, to come up and get in real, real close behind them. And then, you know, if they're on the edge of it, obviously they can, they can see down and see if it, there's anything coming up. So that, that's one of the things that I really look for, um, on a map is, is, is points. Um, and maybe, you know, if you've got two or three points that are close together, that might be a good spot to listen from, you know, cause mine might not be on this point, but the next one over the one right over that, you know, uh, so that's really one of the main things that I look for. If I've never been to a property and going to go in blind or something like that. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're going in and looking at those type of places, are you looking for, um, like in deer terms, we would call it transition, uh, hard edges. Um, uh, but basically in the grand scheme, habitat, habitat diversity, is that something that you're trying to find as well? So it is, but not, not to the extent that I do with deer hunting. Um, you know, especially with deer hunting for me, I, I really like to hunt edges. Um, not necessarily the case with, with turkeys. Um, Jackson County, you know, is a, is a mass of, of, for the most part, mature hardwoods. Um, so terrain's going to look pretty similar um, across a lot of these mountains. And so really it's more for me about if I haven't been there and I get in there and I haven't heard a bird just, walking the property, putting boots on the ground, whether it's public or private, and finding sign. Um, I've found that, that certain habitat type, man, you take on this one property and put it on another piece of property, and it might not hold birds for whatever reason. I've, I've yet to discover that. Um, and so that, for me, it's more boots on the ground if I go in and can't find one. Let's find some sign. Let's find some scratching, you know, and see, see where they're hanging out and that type thing. Um, but I have found, especially early spring for us, a lot of these birds are holding tight to pretty steep draws. Um, I find that there's probably a lot of shoots in those draws that are starting to spring up. A lot of the acorns have kind of washed down in them or fallen down in them. So there's more food, um, abundant in that area. And so a lot of times I find a lot of birds closer in these deep, um, pretty steep, you know, hard to get to draws than, than on these two. So that's another thing, you know, that I'll kind of key on and maybe try to look at first if I haven't heard a bird. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I know um, for me, like a lot of the walking and uh, just kind of, I guess you would call it in-season scouting has been super beneficial for me in the past of just, you know, trying to get out there and find, find that scratch, find, um, just find the areas. I mean, sometimes it's even as intense of uh busting up a group of right. a group of turkeys that I don't even that I didn't even know were there but being kind of prepared and saying hey there's turkeys in this area and going back home or whatever and and trying to figure out how I can how I can kill them but um one of the things that I think that you have uh, a, a big advantage over a lot of guys in is the actual killing and calling of the turkeys process so you own the company Foot on the Head, correct? That's correct, yep. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that company and how it started. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to tie it together to the actual process of, of killing a turkey and making it all come together. So tell us a little bit about the business, uh, when you started, for guys who maybe haven't heard the episode from last year that you were on. Uh, just tell us what it's all about. Yeah, man, so... 
So, like I said earlier, uh, I killed my first bird when I was seven and kind of never looked back from there, just fell in love with it. And, um, man, just got to high school and, and was just eaten up by the bug of turkey hunting. And, um, you know, it just became a passion right off the bat. And so from there, um, obviously wanted to kill more birds and do whatever that took or whatever that looked like for me. So that, that looked like, hey, I can improve calling. Uh, so, so I set out to become a better caller. Um, now I'm not a, uh, you know, grand national caller. I'm not a stage caller. Um, but I feel like I can call pretty decent. And honestly, it just took practice and practice and practice. And so, man, one year I went to buy some mouth calls and I, I knew the exact call that I bought from the exact company the year before. And I went, went, you know, and bought the same call and, uh, I actually bought two or three of them and popped them all in. They all sounded totally different. And uh, to be honest, I was just really frustrated with it and um, because I had finally found the diaphragm, you know, that I could consistently yelp on, that consistently sounded good. And then I went back, you know, and obviously wasn't the case. And so I just said, hey, you know, let me look in to just start building these things on my own. Um, and so I did. I, I researched it and I looked and I studied and talked to people and stuff and ended up buying a press when I was in college. And that was 2000 and I guess when I bought that press and um, man honestly just was building calls solely for just me and my dad and maybe a friend or two that turkey hunted but not you know not anything drastic and uh, just just one thing turned to the next you know I was in forestry and wildlife at Mississippi State at this time and obviously people in that you know major hunt and fish a lot enjoy the same things that I do and so just naturally being in class with them you know, we talk about turkey hunting, turkey calls, and I'd be, you know, I'd build them some calls and sell some, and then their friends would find out about it. And next thing I know, you know, I'm making five, six, seven hundred diaphragms a year, and I'm like, well, maybe I should just, you know, come up with a name and just sell some calls, you know, just to make a little bit of cash on the side, uh, you know, and have have some fun and provide a product that's really, really good that people can't really buy on the market these days, and. um man and it just like i said one thing led to the next and then uh i've got pot calls and then i you know i'm trying to you know do box calls and locator calls and so really it just started out from the from the perspective of how can i become a more consistent turkey caller um and then how can i help other people do that and you know now here i am today got a full-blown company with it and uh you know it's a blast i love it i love helping people you know have a call that they can buy every single year that's going to be really, really close to how it was the previous year when they bought it and uh, have, really, you know, just really good success in the turkey woods. Man, that's, uh, that's a cool story, man. It's, uh, it's really neat, and I hear this from a lot of people who have um, businesses within the outdoor industry like yourself, you know, guys like uh, Greg Godfrey, who um, is uh, the owner of Tethered with, with Ernie Power. They – these guys like that who it really all stems from how can we be better saddle hunters or how can we be better turkey hunters like you're in your case. And it always seems like that's the story of a lot of these companies that are really doing a good job because at the end of the day, they were just trying to become better themselves and other people kind of caught on to that. So I think that's really neat. Uh, it's definitely inspiring to see that um, to see that kind of story, you know, where uh, you said, hey, I just want to be better. And now here you are doing it as a job, making turkey calls for people. So you mentioned that uh, that you've kind of been 
experimenting, I guess, or coming out with some new products. And you kind of mentioned before we start recording about a new product that you come you've come out with this year, which is a box call, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, so we decided to come out with a new box call this year. I just kind of wanted something that was a little bit different sound um, than, than what I had in my line. So I have two box calls that I previously sold and still do sell those. Um, they're a little bit higher pitched um, than, the, than the new call that I have out this year. Um, they're a little bit raspier than the new call that I have out this year. So honestly, you know, every turkey hunter is different. Every turkey hunter has that sound that they look to produce. And so really the goal with this call was just to provide a sound that, that we're not offering, uh, that might help somebody, um, you know, put in their vest and then obviously help them in the field once they get out there. Um, and so we looked at a few different woods and stuff. Um, I came up with a mahogany body and a hickory lid. Uh, we call it Henrietta is the name of the is the name of the box call this year. Okay. Um, and it's going to offer you know a little bit deeper, um, deeper chalkier I guess type yelp to it than than our other box calls. It's not quite as high pitched. It does still have a really you know raspy back into it. You know if if you run it that way, you can run it that way, or you can you know short stop your lid and be really clear and high pitched on it if you really choose to. Um, so, so that's really what we were looking at doing when we added this box call to our line this year. So I think it, I think it fit the bill pretty well, and uh, hopefully people will enjoy it. I know that that that's personally the sound that I like um, when I hunt. But again, you know, every every hunter has that sound that they want to produce, um, and so we, I think we uh, knocked it out of the park with this one. Heck yeah, man! And uh, from what you were telling me, it seems like uh, business is booming right now. Is that right? Yes, it is, man. So, so you know, obviously I'm a big turkey hunter, so I don't in my office packaging up orders, selling turkey calls every single day when it's turkey season. You know, I want I want to be in the woods hunting. Obviously, that's my passion. Um, so, one thing that we try to do is we try to build all of our products, all of our inventory up before spring gets here, um, and that's been you know tough to do at times um i mean obviously you don't know what demand is going to be every year is a little bit different but i have a really you know good idea now um or at least i thought i did uh on, on how much inventory i needed to build up so this year i built all the inventory up before you know for the big show in nashville at the nwtf convention up there and um man we just had a phenomenal show this year i mean just by far our best show made some great partnerships and honestly just got to meet a lot of people. And, um, it was a blast. But, but as soon as I came back, I had a bunch of orders through my website and sold out of a bunch of diaphragm calls. And, uh, I'm sold out of one of my pot calls now. So, you know, I, I've got to get started building some more of those, but it's been a phenomenal year as far as selling calls go. And so we're, uh, we're back to the, to the grinding board or grinding stone, you know, building calls and trying to, you know, knock that inventory back up and have calls in stock. That way, we're not uh, we're not building calls and stuff once season gets here. So it's been a it's been a really good and encouraging year um, as far as selling products goes. And on top of that, you got to have a baby somewhere in there, <laughs> somewhere in the that's mix. That's right. That's right. So it's like you know, we, I, I go to my day job, I come home, take care of little man, you know, spend some time with the wife and, and eat dinner and put him down, and she goes to bed. You know, after we spend some time together and then, you know, nine, ten o'clock, I'll go in my office and work for two, three, four hours and, 
get stuff built, get stuff packaged up for the next day, and then do it all over again. So it's been tough right now, you know, and I know it's about to get tough with a you know baby due any day in the next two three days. So it's going to be fun and it's welcomed, man. That's uh, that's fun, man. That's you know, like we talked about earlier, man. Like you don't get these years back. It's not always going to be like this. Yep. But you're going to look back and say, that's man, right. that was that was fun. That was tough, but it was fun. That's right. That's cool. That's right. Yeah. So, yep. so talking about talking about your company and uh, some of the stuff that you guys offer, um, I know mm-hmm. I was I was hunting with a buddy of mine uh, last year. His name's Hunter Lindsay. I think you you probably know him. Um, yeah, I know Hunter very well. Hunter's a cool guy. We were we were out turkey hunting last year, and he had one of your pot calls, and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, man, it was. It was probably one of the better sounding calls that uh, that I've ever heard, and I don't know which one it was. I can't remember which one it was, but it was absolutely just awesome. Um, and the thing that I liked about it is that, man, that sound out of it, even like a even something like a like a purr, um, it was just carrying so stinking far. Um, so talking to him and and then of course talking to you last year and and really keeping up with you what you guys are doing what I'm gathering from all that information is that y'all spend a lot of time on each and every call it's not just a mass produced thing it is a um like a from the heart <laughs> type process can you tell us a little bit about that yeah man so we do, uh, we spend a lot of time on every call and, you know, I'm the type of guy that I have pretty high standards when it comes to how they sound. Obviously that's why I started this company. I wanted a call that sounded very realistic. Um, and so it's one of those things, if, if the call doesn't sound good, I'm not going to send it out in a package. I'm not going to sell it to somebody like it's, you know, because it doesn't represent the goals of our company very well. Um, and so we take a lot of time and put a lot of pride into these calls that we sell. With that being said, you know, every one of them is hand-built, hand-tuned, hand-worked on. You know, when somebody orders something online, so I package everything up and ship it out. So I'm, I'm you know, if somebody orders, a, say, a crystal over aluminum call, um, I'm going through my, you know, box of strikers, pairing it with a striker that sounds really well, um, you know, that type thing. Um, I have people that call me a lot and say, hey, you know, I really want this type of wood, you know, whether it be Babinga or Jatoba or see whatever wood they want for a striker, you know, and I'll check all of them and run through them and figure out which one sounds really good with that call and, you know, pair it up. So that's our that's our goal. We want stuff that sounds realistic, you know, when you get it in your hands. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Um, and that means us throwing away some calls, you know, as well. You know, some of them just don't sound good. There's, um, you know, defects in some of the woods out there, and every every piece of wood is different based upon how it was grown, where it was grown, you know, weather conditions and that type of thing. So, you know, we're going to have to throw some away, and that's just part of the deal. But I would rather would rather throw calls away, would rather not sell them, and make sure that the end user has a really good product in hand um, versus than just having a product in hand. So that, that's kind of the, the goal of our company is quality over quantity. That's good. That's good, man. So, can you can you kind of tell us uh, some of the things that you that you guys offer? Um, obviously, you said yep. you have a little bit of everything, but can you kind of go into detail on some of those uh, some of those products? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've got pretty much every surface of pot calls that are out there, whether it's aluminum, ceramic, slate, crystals, glasses. I've got all that. Um, every one of those has a totally different, unique sound to it. Um, so, so that's pretty interesting. We've got three box calls um, on the market. Like I said, two of those are a little bit higher pitch than one that Henrietta that we came out with this year. Um, it's a little bit deeper pitch and deeper tone to it. Um, and then as far as diaphragms go, um, I wanted something, honestly, when we started out, was was mainly focused on three recalls. And then the past couple of years, we started focusing more on two recalls. Um, and the reason for that is just to kind of really expand our line and kind of hit again, you know, that preference that every turkey hunter really has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now we've got we've got 10 different mouth calls out. Um, eight of those are three recalls. Two of those uh, 10 are, are double recalls or two recalls. And um, we're actually field testing some other two recalls this year. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Um, but really, we've got calls on our on our diaphragm side that are. I've got some that are built honestly just to be loud, you know. And then I've got others that are built just to be raspy. Um, I've got I've got some kind of in the middle, you know. So it's really a matter of what you want your perspective on things. Um, our best selling mouth call that we have is called the Samson. It's a three read modified V cut. Uh, built of all latex and it's really raspy um, a lot of guys that you know turkey hunt rasp old you know, sound to it so i would say that's probably why it's our best seller um but i've got i developed a two recall last year that we came out with called the legend and it's a two read all latex call it's got a pretty loose stretch on it it's a bat wing cut and, uh, man, it can get quiet, but you can also crank on it pretty well. You're not going to get super, super loud, but you are going to be able to get out there uh, for a two recall and reach some birds that normally you wouldn't be able to, you know. Yeah. I'm really excited about that call. We have sold a lot of those this year. In fact, I've already sold out of them once and had to rebuild some stock, and I'm about to sell out a second time. Um, so if you want one, be sure to get on there as soon as you can, you know, on our website and, and order one. It's called the Legend, but that's the call that I run probably 90% of the time when I hunt now. Um, so, okay. yeah, that's kind of a little bit about our line. We've got locator calls, too. I've got crow calls, uh, Paduke and Osage Woods on those. They're super, super, super realistic, just like the rest of our calls. But, again, you know, when I developed a locator call, my, my thing was, hey, I want something that's going to be really loud. And so we, I think we did a pretty good job of, of accomplishing that with uh, the Paduke and Osage Woods. So check those out as well. Yeah, so um, you mentioned you had people call you and request certain things. Is that is that something that you offer as far as like a custom thing with an upcharge or something like that? How does that work? Yeah, no, so you can call me, and, 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 and mainly what I talk about is people, you know, want to pair certain strikers, certain woods of strikers with, with a call um, that they buy. And that's totally something you can do. You can call me and say, hey, Drew, I really like this wood. You know, can you run it on a couple calls and pick, pick one out for me? And, and, yeah, I'll be more than happy to do that. There's no upcharge for that. Um, we don't really build custom calls. Say you, you know, you want a, you're a walnut tree fell at your grandmother's house and, um, you know, you, you want a call made out of it. We really don't do that type thing. We more of just pair stuff with our calls that we've already made. Okay. Um, so it's more custom as far as that, that goes. Uh, we try to keep our line our line just because I've done a lot of research and, and a lot of time 
you know, developing dimensions and wood combinations and laminations and that type thing. So I know what I have works. And so I don't really want to branch out, you know, because I'm afraid I might send somebody a bad product. And, and like I said before, I just don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of know what works for us and we're sticking to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I guess kind of the last question about this, what are the price ranges that people can expect when they uh, go to your website? Yeah, so our diaphragm calls are $7. Um, strikers are anywhere from $15 all the way up. We've got one that we sell at $65. It's a high-end snakewood striker. Uh, so it's definitely on the on the upper end of scales. But all of our strikers are $15, except for ebony, which is $25, and then snakewood, which is $65. Um, and then box calls are $30, $35 all the way up to $50. Hot calls are $45 to $55, depending upon which one you want there. Um, so really, you can get a really good custom call that sounds, you know, ultra, ultra realistic for a really good good price point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I do a fair amount of research on different call companies and, and things like that. And I was actually really surprised after talking to you last year and um really kind of following foot on the head and um and that kind of stuff i was really surprised to go to your website to see just how affordable the uh the calls were on there like very very affordable um i mean when you're talking about seven dollars for a diaphragm you're not going to find that in any store uh for anything especially not a um something like like what you're doing um and so and then yeah looking at the prices of your pot calls and your locator and your uh, box calls and things like that, I mean, you're just not going to find that kind of price everywhere for the amount of time and effort that you guys are putting into each and every call. It's a pretty dang good price, man, so kudos to you on that. Um, it is, and, and another thing, if you order from the website, it's free shipping on all orders, no minimum you know, payment on that. You know, A lot of websites you go to, you spend 50, you know, $20, you get free shipping, or $50, you get free shipping. It doesn't matter with us. If you order a product, we're going to send it to you with free shipping, so you don't have to worry about that. Wow. That's that's pretty stinking awesome, man. That's cool. So, yeah. All right. So, I wanted to kind of talk about the company and things after talking about, you know, your process for finding turkeys and things like that because I think it has I think it has a lot to do with it because your story was, "Hey, I just wanted to become a better turkey hunter. That's why I started building these calls." So, I guess just a simple uh yes or no um, you don't have to go super into depth on it, but did you find that to be true that making calls made you a better turkey hunter? Yes. Um, and the reason that I say that is because it helped me become a more realistic caller, you know, but, but a lot of turkey hunting is not calling. I mean, calling is only a very small percentage of it, but the more realistic that you can sound, the more lifelike that you can sound, I think that it makes it a little bit easier to trick that bird into believing that you are real. Yeah. Uh, so I would say, yes, it has improved, um, you know, my ability to kill turkeys, you know, when I go hunt. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of would disagree with you on the fact that turkey, that calling is not the most important factor to killing turkeys. Um, and I, I agree with you to a certain point, but I also kind of disagree with you because I think that calling is the most important factor to not killing turkeys, right? So 
you can go into an area that's full of turkeys, and if you call too much, or if your call sounds like crap, uh, you're not going to kill him. It's, I mm-hmm. mean, you, you might get lucky, you, but you might have a better chance just sitting your butt on the ground and finding a good spot where they like to go and loaf and not calling at all. Um, because I've seen a lot, and myself, I've seen myself screw up a lot of turkey hunts with my calling. And, mm-hmm. and you know, not being realistic. And, you know, a lot of that was when I was first starting and didn't really know what I was doing. But even to this day, man, I have screwed up so many turkey hunts by overcalling or not knowing the right times yep. when to call or not knowing the right call to make in a certain scenario. And uh, yeah. do you find yourself kind of being able to sharpen that up? Obviously, with research and things like that, you're learning – a lot about turkey hunting in the in the turkey hunting or the turkey call making business. You just kind of learn mm-hmm. those type things. Did you find that to be true? Yeah, I would definitely say that that's true. And I guess I do. You know, I, I totally see your point and understand your point about uh, you know calling. And it, I mean, it does have a big impact um, on that. But but yeah, the more research that you do, the more time that you spend doing something, you know, the more engulfed you get in it, the better that you're going to be at it. So I think for me that, that, that that's been one of the big keys for me, you know, to be successful just in building calls and, and hunting and calling turkeys, that type thing, you know. Like I said, man, the more time that you spend at it, the better you're going to be as, as long as you're trying to get better at it. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, a lot of guys – and here's, the, here's the, the truth of the matter is a lot of guys who turkey hunt are also deer hunters. So you've got basically a month – or maybe sometimes a little bit more than a month of turkey season. But then, you know, down here in the south, our deer seasons are just super long. So we're so engulfed in that. And then I feel like deer season just ended, and now all of a sudden it's turkey season. I've got like a month to get prepared, you know. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm like listening to uh, some of my audio clips that I have, trying to get, you know, get back to in the mood for turkey season and – and practicing my calling and getting my setup all together. But I've only got like a month or so to do that. Whereas once turkey season's over, I've got, what, like five months before deer season starts. So I've got plenty of time right. to prepare and sharpen up that that skill and, and get my stuff ready and, and things like that. And so, you know, with with turkeys, I just feel super unprepared all the time. I don't feel like I'm like I'm doing my my due diligence in what you're saying. If if you're spending a lot of time and researching and, and just being in that environment, you're obviously going to learn. Um, but, you know, it's hard to do that when you've got, you know, just a short amount of time to be able to, to get all that stuff ready. And so that makes it tough yeah. for turkey hunters, I think. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of people right now who would consider themselves diehard turkey hunters that are not even taking their calls out yet that haven't even been working on that. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. And so that makes it hard. So I can definitely see for you because you are doing this as a job, how that keeps you in that. And it makes you a better Turkey hunter altogether. So that's cool, man. I'm, I'm a fan. I like it. You know, it's one of those things, man, I, I start messing with Turkey calls in November, you know, after the season ends, I'll put them down for a few months and then, you know, end of October, 1st of November, I've got calls in my hands again. Like we're building stuff. We're, you know, we're again, we're starting to build that inventory up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, 
yelping on calls and practicing, you know, my, you know, my calling skills from, you know, November all the way to turkey season, you know. And so I have that opportunity to become better at it, you know, and you take somebody a pot call and say, hey, here's your call. And, you know, and they're like, well, let me hear you run it. Hey, with how well you run it. And they're like, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, you practice for six months straight, you know, yeah. you practice for five months and you get it. Yeah. So, I mean, no. I think it, I think it, it definitely matters because a lot of the guys who are, um, you know, turkey killers, that's, it, it doesn't stop for them. It's not, it's not like deer season's over and now all of a sudden they can just be turkey killers. Some of them can because they've been doing it for so long, but man, a lot right. of guys like that's just a, it's a big part of it is practicing it and thinking about it and, you know, making mental notes. Even while you're in the deer woods, I make mental notes all the stinking time about where I'm finding scratching and where I'm finding birds are roosting at. They may not be there come spring, but at least I know that there's turkeys in the area. And so I'm, I'm always trying to make those mental notes. I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely guilty of being the person that I was just talking, referring to of, and I just, I'm not thinking about it nearly as much as I am right now uh, during deer season. It's just the it's just the truth yeah. of the matter. And so, That's right. um, so going back, you know, and talking about you know your process of finding turkeys, we talked about how what you're looking for on a map. We talked about um, kind of your your scouting process when you can and um, finding roosted birds and hunting mountain terrain. We talked about all that kind of stuff. Um, I want you to just kind of I'm going to ask you questions based on a a scenario and kind of seeing what you would do in that certain scenario okay and um I've found that with turkey hunting podcasts uh the the what we always come to is turkeys are going to do what turkeys want to do right like deer you can say oh deer are going to be on an edge sometimes they might not be but most of the time you find them on an edge or Deer like to use uh, terrain features to travel or use the the uh, field edge. That's where they're going to feed at is the low spot on the field edge or whatever. Like you can say those things, and for the most part, they're going to be true. With turkeys, there's just not a lot of that. Turkeys are going to do whatever they feel like doing. So what we're going right. to do, I'm going to try this in this podcast. Now, I've never done this, Drew. Like I've never just laid out <laughs> a scenario and said, how would you go about this? So we're going to try this, and uh, hopefully the people that are listening will learn something from it, learning from a guy who knows what he's doing, a guy who's, you know, in this environment all the time. So we're going to lay out this scenario, okay? So mountain birds, right? You're in North Alabama hunting mountain birds. Get out of the truck, and we'll do a couple different scenarios. You get out of the truck, don't hear a gobble at all till nine o'clock mm-hmm. it's nine o'clock and you still haven't heard a gobble what's your next next move and my next move you know again the big answer is going to be it depends it depends on the property i'm on is it small big is it public is it private can i hunt it every day am i the only one that can hunt it so a lot of it kind of depends on that on a lot of those questions but let's just say you know i'm on a big piece of property or i'm on public and you know i've got a lot of ground i can hunt and i haven't heard the turkey my first go-to is going to be let's cover ground let's you know try to locate one using a mouth call using a box call using a pot call you know and let's cover ground and try to try to you know shock one in the goblin or get a response from a bird somewhere that's going to be my first go-to in that, that that scenario so as you're as you're doing that um 
are you are you making the plan right then? Like I'm gonna keep walking, I'm gonna keep going until either it's dark or I have to leave. If I don't hear a gobble, I'm just gonna keep walking. Yep, yep. I'm gonna keep going um, until I get one to gobble, unless I come upon a bunch of signs. If I come up on a lot of scratch in an area that looks like birds might be spending a whole lot of time in, I may sit in that area and just cold call or blind call for hour, hour and a half. I, I can't sit still for a long time, so an hour and a half is about the longest I'm going to sit there. If I haven't heard a gobble or haven't seen a bird or anything like that, I'm not going to sit there much longer than an hour and a half, if any. Okay. Um, and, and so, but if, if I don't come across much sign, if I don't see a lot of tracks, no scratchings, no strut marks, no droppings, you know, don't see any of that stuff, I'm going to keep going. I mean, there's probably not birds in the, you know, general vicinity, and so I need to get in a vicinity where there is birds, you know, in order to get myself in the game. So you're going to find, if nothing else, you're scouting for deer season, right? Like, uh, <laughs> just, just you're just going to keep walking. You're going to go until yep. you either hear a gobble, find the sign. All right, so let's say you find you find a, a bunch of good sign, and and you decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to sit right here for a little bit, hour and a half at tops. Um, what kind of calls yep. are you doing in that blind calling sequence? Um, I'm going to start out just by soft calling, just some clucks and purrs, um, some wine, scratching the leaves. I'm going to start out just like that, and I'll probably do that every 10 minutes or so, 5 to 10 minutes, I'll, you know, soft call. Every 15 to 25 minutes, I'm going to throw in some cuts you know, um, and, and just some, a few series, small, short series of yelps, uh, maybe six, seven notes, you know, not just a whole, whole lot. Um, but that, that's one of the things that I'm going to do. If I sit there on some sign, I'm on, I'm on a sound, try to sound realistic, try to sound like birds are there, you know, they're loafing there, they're, they're, you know, scratching around, they're feeding, they're content. Um, and then every now and then, you know, if you've got turkeys that are together, they're going to get close to one another and they're going to cut, you know, and they're going to flap wings and they're going to, you know, be territorial and that type of thing. So I'm going to throw in a little of that as well. That's why I said every, you know, 15 to 25 minutes, I'll throw in some sharp cuts or, you know, a loud series of yelps or something like that. You know, I, I want to sound realistic. I want to sound like there's, there's a flock of turkeys or two or three birds sitting there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, while you're walking, are you mostly – so let's say you kind of back up, you're walking, haven't heard a gobble. What kind of call sequences are you doing on that walk? On the walk, I'm going to, uh, most of the time when I'm walking, say I'm walking down a ridge top or walking down a road trying to locate a turkey, the first thing that I'm going to do is cut four or five, four or five notes, you know, something short or something, almost like a locator call. You know, I'm going to try to shock that bird in the goblin. Um, if I don't get a response from that right away, you know, say say I cut five or six notes and I don't hear anything, then I may I may yelp, you know, to from a eight to twelve note series yelp. If nothing happens again, I'll do it, you know, eight to twelve notes again. If nothing happens there, I'll go on, you know, hundred yards up the road, hundred yards up the ridge, and I'll stop and I'll do it again. But the second time that I stop, I may pull out a different call. I may pull out a pot call or a box call. You know, I'm going to change it up a little bit and see if I can't, you know, utilize a different tool in my toolbox, per se, to help myself that day. Yeah, I hear a lot of people saying that, that 
Uh, there's some people out there, man, who are convinced that you have you need to carry as many calls as you can, which obviously the easiest thing to do is carry a bunch of diaphragm, different styles, different cuts of, of diaphragm calls. And if you've got enough in there and there's turkeys in the area, they're going to gobble at one of them. You're going to find the one right. that they want. Um, so I've heard that, you know, I – I haven't necessarily noticed it. I have my favorite ones that I use, and, um, you know, they seem to be the one that always works. Or, you know, if there's turkeys in the area, they always work. Um, and so, right. you know, it, it is what it is. So you mentioned that you're you're walking, uh, you know, usually on the tops of ridges. Is that kind of how you normally do it? Yeah, I just like to find the area that, number one, my call can travel, and number two, that I can hear. You know, I don't like to sit in bowls, uh, you know, unless obviously I know that there's a bird really close by or something like that. I feel like I can't move, then I'll obviously sit in one. You know, I have a choice to. But I'm not going to go, you know, to a to a drain and walk up the mountain in this drain, you know, low, you know, running a call trying to find a bird. Yeah. Uh, or, or opposite, I'm not going to walk down one. Now, I may, once I get one to gobble, I may use that drain to my advantage to move on that bird or something like that. But you want to put yourself in a situation where you can hear a lot of ground, where you can cover a lot of ground, and that your call in, you know, also covers a lot of ground, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so going to you found a lot of sign. You've been walking. We're still on the haven't heard a gobble, and you start walking. You find a lot of sign. You sit down, and – you know that these turkeys are here at some point during the day, a lot of days, because there's lots of sign. Uh, you strike up a bird. That bird is, let's say, a distant gobble, 200, let's say 250 yards away. And mm-hmm. you hear it. What's your next move? You're in an area where there's a lot of sign. Are you going towards the turkey? Are you getting closer? Or are you staying in that area that you know he'll probably be in eventually? You know, that's a tough one there. Um, that's a toss-up to me. It's a 50-50. Um, if it's me, I'm going to go to the turkey. I don't like a lot of distance between me and that bird, even if I am in a lot of sign. That's just my preference. Um, and, and the main reason for that is, you know, he may have gobbled to me calling, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have hens with him. You know, and a lot of times if he's got hens with him, he's going to be quiet. You know, he may he may go quiet after that. You may not hear anything else from him. And let's say that you set up in where that sign is and you sat there for 40 minutes and you haven't heard anything else, you know, you don't know where that turkey went. If he's still in the same spot, if he's moved 500 yards the other direction or whatever. So I like to close that gap um, and try to get close to the birds or as close as I feel comfortable. Um, and then that way, if they do move, maybe I can, can stay on them, can stay behind them, can make a loop and get in front of them. But I, you know, I feel like in that situation, I would have a better idea where that flock of birds is in and in turn be able to give me a better opportunity to kill one of those birds. Yeah. Do you, do you find that it is a little bit, it, it kind of, cause obviously when you're calling a turkey with a hen call, you're trying to call a gobbler to you. You're reversing the course of nature, right? Because hens don't right. hens hens don't wait on the gobbler most of the time. Usually, uh, the gobbler's saying, "Hey, I'm right here. You come to me, girl." And um, right. wouldn't that be great if that's the way it actually worked out across all species? But it doesn't. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it totally doesn't do that. But um, you're reversing the course of nature. So 
um, you know, I would imagine you're a seasoned turkey hunter. You've tried both options, and you tend to lean more towards going closer to that bird when you hear him. Does that seem to be like the higher percentage for you of success? Yeah, personally for me it does. Um, you know, and it all depends. Everybody, Everybody's a little bit different. Um, you know, I've found that when I can can be more aggressive and I can kind of push the limit a little bit per se, you know, trying to get close to that flock, that I'm usually going to be more successful than I am uh, just sitting back on a tree for hours on end per se. Um, you know, it's just really hard for me to sit there in a spot for a long extended period of time, not to say that I won't. If I feel like I'm in the game, I will. But if I don't feel like I'm in the game, I'm trying to get up and put myself in the game. Uh, so I would say, yeah, um, I feel like my percentage probably goes up if I go towards that turkey. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think you I think you find that a lot with the guys that typically listen to this podcast. Most of them are public land, running gun type guys, and that's just kind of in our nature to do that, is to get up, put ourselves in the game. That's what we're trying to do. We ain't trying to sit in a blind. We're trying to go find the animals. We don't want to say, hey, they just weren't moving today. Um, no, they were moving somewhere. But you just weren't in the right yeah. spot, and uh, that's. I mean, that's... You know, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, and I'm not knocking somebody that's gonna sit there on a tree for two and a half or three hours. Like, if that's what you want to do, if that's what you're comfortable with, if that's what you feel confident in, by all means, do that. You know, this is just my style of hunting. Um, you know, and I know guys that do that that are successful. You know, to me, most of the time when I find those guys, they're retired. Uh, they don't have young kids at the house or a job that they have to get to you know they're going to go out there and they're turkey hunting and they're they're working on turkey's time you know uh they're not looking at the, the watch on their hand or, or clock on their phone you know and got to be here by you know nine forty-five in the morning you know their their goal is to go out there and turkey hunt all day yeah um so you know if that if that's what you want to do by all means get out there do it hunt enjoy it and have a good time definitely definitely and i've i've had it work honestly i've had it work both both ways I've sat in a ground blind yeah. and had turkeys just show up, and I shot one. And I've also had, you know, similar situations to this scenario that we're talking about where, you know, I just got closer, and that seemed to be the ticket. Um, all right, so same scenario. So you've got this goblin bird, typically, or not typically, but a lot of the time what's going to happen is the lead hen is going to break off from the flock and go and try to figure out what's going on, who's this other girl that's in our in our neck of the woods, trying to pull my man over to him or to her. Uh, so you got this hen that shows up, right? She comes and checks you out. Yep. What's your move? Are you going to scare her off? Are you going to just try to be as still as possible, let her stay there, piss her off as much as you can? Uh, what, are, what are you doing in that scenario? Yeah, in that scenario, if she comes up there, you know, I'm trying to keep her there as long as she can. You know, as long as, long as I can have her there, as long as I can have her be vocal, um, you know, I've just had too many situations where, you know, you kill a bird or you get close to killing a bird or even strike one up just because other turkeys were in the area calling. Uh, so I'm trying to keep her there um, as long as I can. Now, if I know that that bird is coming, um, you know, and she, you know, say he's coming from obviously straight in front of me, she's come from straight in front of me and she's behind me a little ways. She's not really calling anymore. She just, she's just feeding around. You know, and this other bird's coming to me, like, you know, obviously he's a goblin, you know, and, and, and walking goblin, letting me know that he's coming. 
then yeah, in that instance, I may turn around and I may, you know, move just a little bit, you know, enough to kind of get her attention and let her know, hey, something's not right. Mm-hmm. But I de- if I if I am gonna spook a hen, um, I don't want to spook her in the direction that that gobbler is coming from. Um, I always want it to be going away from me, exactly, you know, opposite from the way he's coming. Um, so so just keep that in mind. It is a tactic and a tool that you can use, but you don't want to run that hen back in the direction of that gobbler. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. That's, uh, I think we're done with the no call or the no gobble in the morning scenario. Like that covers a lot for me. And honestly, I, I start out with that one because I mean, that's typically what happens. You know, you get out there expecting there to be a lot of gobbles and there's nothing more times than not, especially in Alabama, especially on public land when you're dealing with these super pressured Eastern birds, man, they're just, they're frustrating. They're hard. And they don't gobble a lot. Um, So, all right. So you get out the truck. It's whatever, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 5.30, whatever. Whenever you're getting out to go out to your spot, it's dark. You get out the truck, walk a little ways. You strike a gobble, okay? Um, Let's say the gobble is 500 yards away on a big piece of mountain terrain, public land. 500 yards away, you got a distant gobble. Um, going close to the bird, obviously, you're not going to go further away than that. You're going to get as close as you can. What is your typical setup? How close are you trying to get to that bird that's on the roost? Um, a lot of that's going to depend on the terrain. You know, obviously, you don't want to be seen. You don't want to bust that turkey. Um, I like to be, you know, 100 yards, you know, all the way close, you know, probably 70 to 80. Uh, 70 yards to me is, is still close, um, really close. I've been closer than that a time or two. I, personally, I don't like to be um, a lot closer than that um, unless, you know, I know something else about the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to get 70 to 100 yards from the bird. I'm going to call at him on the limb. Probably going to be on the on the uphill side of him if we're going to be on a mountain turkey. Um, uh, I would, I would much rather be on the uphill side than even or downhill side. Um, if you just absolutely have no other options than the downhill side, you can do that. But I found that majority of the time, it's going to be really tough to call him down. I've yeah. done it. You know, there's always exceptions to every single rule. Um, but more times than not, that turkey's going to pitch, um, up the hill just a tad, you know, because when you think about it, say he's on a, he's on a bench, you know, he's 60 foot up in a tree, 50 foot up in a tree. Um, you know, he's probably going to be about eye level with another bench above him or at least part of the hill that's above him. And so it's a lot easier for him just to pitch out straight to that hillside than it is to the bottom of the tree or even down. Mm-hmm. So he's going to feel a lot safer with what he can see. Uh, so that's the reason that I like to be on the uphill side of him if I can. Yeah, I mean, I've and I've heard that a lot and experienced it a lot that, man, if you're downhill of them, it can be really tough. And then uh, being able to get uphill and call them uphill, they can't see. If you're on the top of that hill, they can't see. They don't have the the view that they would have coming downhill. So mm-hmm. you have the opportunity really to kill them as soon as they crest that hill. And at a close range you can set up you don't have to be they're not going to catch your movement because they're blocked obviously by the mountain or hill or whatever you're on and so you know i don't know that i've noticed just a huge difference in 
being able to call a turkey closer to me, whether I'm uphill or downhill. Um, but I have noticed getting busted versus not getting busted on being uphill for sure. That's been yeah. a that's yeah. been a big piece. So yeah, so about seventy yards is what you're trying to get to. All right, so that turkey pitches down. He pitches down the opposite direction from you. Are you staying put? Yep. And obviously he's not that far away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's probably got some hens with him or something like that. Are you going to stay put and try to call until he gets far away? Or are you going to try to see where he's going and cut him off? Um, if, if he's got hens with him and he's still gobbling, I'm probably going to try to get up and move on that bird. Um, especially if he's gobbling going away, I'll definitely move. I'm not going to sit tight because – Number one, he's got hands. Number two, he's he's going away from you. So so you would be crazy to sit tight in that scenario. Um, you know, we had this instance last year. We had been on these birds like three days in a row. They they were down the hill from us every single day. It seems like they just roosted a little bit lower every single day. They had hens with them. They pitched down straight to the hens, and then they'd go away from us. Um, you know, it's just one of those things you deal with. You know, and finally we were able to have success by. You know, just being able to follow those birds, um, you know, and stay as close as we could to them. Now, the terrain in this instance worked to our advantage because it was some some really tight, small benches with a lot of rock, you know, outcroppings on them. Um, you know, they weren't real wide. Turkeys couldn't see a whole, whole you know, long ways. Um, and so we were able to use the advantage to get close, you know, that day. Um, but if that bird, man, if he pitches down the hill away from me with his and he's going away from me, Goblin, I'm picking up and I'm moving. I'm trying to get in front of them, honestly, if, especially if I know where they're going. I'm definitely trying to beat them to that spot, yeah. which is really tough to do in the mountains. It can be done, but it's tough to do, especially early season in Alabama. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of that has to do with vegetation, you know, being able to sneak through right. open hardwoods without any undergrowth because it's all died off from the winter. Um, and really our opener is kind of, sometimes it's still winter time. <laughs> like it still can be pretty cold mm-hmm. and no you're, doubt. you're not really hitting green up yet. So you can't just get around quite as easily. It's just, it's just tough. It's a, it's a different dynamic for sure. Um, but I know I've been guilty of, um, the opposite of what you're talking about of staying put and saying, well, maybe he'll come this direction more when I first started. And I imagine there's some people listening to this right now who are just starting in in the quest for uh maybe their first turkey or something like that and i had to learn the lesson the hard way a lot of times that just because he's goblin does not mean he's coming your direction just because he's goblin doesn't mean he's going to turn around and say oh i like that one better sometimes it might work out but a lot of time you need to get where he is going to be at. And I learned that lesson the hard way. So it's nice to hear you say that, you know, obviously you're a seasoned guy, you know, uh, what you're, you know, what you're doing, you go into Turkey woods. Um, so, all right. So same scenario, you are, you get out of your truck, you hear a gobble 500 yards away, you sneak in to 70 yards. Um, and, and he's gobbling like crazy. I guess one of the things that we didn't necessarily talk about was what kind of calling are you going to do? while he's on the tree while he's on the roost um what are you going to do to try to say hey i'm here yeah a lot of times on the roost what i'll do um man i'm just going to start out by soft clucking um i feel like that's that's pretty realistic 
you know, if I do yelp, it's going to be two, three, maybe four notes, you know, just soft, you know, almost under the breath type yelp um, until that bird answers me. Once he answers me and he knows that I'm there, I'm going to back off on my calling um, a good bit. Probably not going to call as much unless I hear hens with him. If I hear other hens with him, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to get him fired up and try to get one of his other hens fired up. Yeah. And hopefully in turn, you know, we talked about with our other scenario, the boss hen kind of comes to check you out and he comes, you know, in tow. Um, so that's kind of how I'm calling to him when he's on the roost. But once he knows that I'm there, I'm backing off on that calling um, and going to call very, very sparingly. Yeah. I guess, I guess something that we didn't really cover to start out that when you get out of the truck, what, what type of locator are you using right off the bat? Right off the bat, I really, really like the woods to just come alive on their own. Okay. Um, I don't like to use the locator first thing in the morning unless I have to. If I, you know, say birds start, you know, all the birds start singing, I know turkeys should be gobbling by now. You know, I'll wait 15 minutes, and if they haven't, if I have not heard one gobble, I'm going to, I'm on owl hoot. Okay. Um, I just, I hoot with my mouth. I don't have a hoot or anything like that that I carry. Um, so I just hoot with my mouth, natural voice. Uh, uh, a couple of times, if I don't hear anything, I might grab a turkey call real quick and do a fly down cackle. Once that, once I feel like it's time for birds to be on the ground, if I don't hear anything, I'm going to start hiking. I'm going to start walking. So that man, that's uh that's a different answer than what I would mostly expect. Um, just letting the woods come alive on their own. That's, uh, you know, I, I am guilty of not doing that almost 100% of the time, unless I just, <laughs> unless I just happen to hear a turkey gobble. Uh, right. You know, I mean, most of the time, if I haven't heard anything and I step foot into the woods, I'm going to do an owl hoot. Like that's almost, almost always. Did, is there a reason for that? Like, did you learn a lesson that kind of taught you, hey, don't do that? Uh, or is that just kind of a preference? It's just a preference. I, I haven't, you know, come across any negative aspect of owl hooting or anything like that. Uh, man, just that, that's my preference. I like i like for everything to be as natural and, as, you know, a, a, and in that natural state as I can get it. Um, now, obviously, all, that's not always the case, and there's always circumstances where that doesn't need to be the case, but that's just my preference. Okay. Okay. So how early would you say would be the earliest to start doing those soft, those soft clucks? Man, if that turkey's already gobbled, it's early. You know, it's early enough. Okay. Um, you know, and then, like I said before, once once you start to hear birds singing, you know, you hear that red bird calling, um, you know, you hear other other birds calling, all the birds should be awake, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So, so if you if you hear a lot of other birds, then it's time to start calling. Um, so that that's kind of the gauge that I like to go off of. Okay. So when the woods one come alive, one thing that I have, yeah, when the birds come alive, one thing going back to the to, to calling of that bird in the tree, uh, one tactic that I have uh, come across on a good bit that has that I've had success with is if I know there's a turkey in there or you know from the previous night i know he doesn't have hands with him or even if i get in there that morning and he's gobbling and i just i'm really convinced that he doesn't have hands with him um i've done this a lot of times and had some really good luck with it i'll kind of you know i'll go in there i'll set up i'll call that turkey he'll answer me i'll call a little bit more he'll answer me i'll kind of go a little bit quiet 
he starts hopefully gobbling on his own, I'll do a fly down cackle with my, you know, mouth call, diaphragm call, and then my wing that I carry with me. Mm-hmm. And then, man, after that, I shut up. And the only thing I'll do is I'll scratch the leaves. And I, I've had a lot of really good success doing that before. Uh, so that would be a good tactic, you know, for people out there that haven't done that, that haven't tried that. Um, I've had that work. And I'll tell you one instance where I really learned it. I had been on this turkey in Mississippi, and um, I had been on him, on him, on him. And to be honest, he had just spanked me day after day after day. And I gave him a break for like three or four days, and I went back in there. And he gobbled, and so I, I, you know, again, trying to get to that 80-ish yard mark, and so I, I get close to him, and I sit down on this tree, man, and as soon as I sit down, there was a hen in the tree that I sat on. Like, <laughs> she just busted up out of there, you know, and flew off, and he's cutting her off as she's flying. And um, I just took my wing out, man, and just uh, I did a few, you know, soft clucks and started scratching the leaves. And he just pitched straight to the ground and walked right to me, you know. And it's just realistic, you know. It's what hens do. They get on the ground. They start, you know, looking for acorns. They start looking for grubs, grasses, whatever. You know, they're feeding. It's just realistic. And um, so I kind of learned that that day, and I've kept it in the back of my head ever since then. And I've tried it numerous times, and I said I've had success with it. So if you haven't done it, if you haven't tried it, keep it in your, you know, toolbox and try it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about this a lot. Last year, I was uh, actually up in uh, in Jackson County and um, was in a spot. I didn't know if there was any turkeys even there. I deer hunted a little bit. Didn't even know if there was turkeys in the area. And uh, I told uh, I told my buddy, um, I'm sure you know him, uh, Dave Owens, the Penhody Project. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was telling him the other day. Uh, I had him on the podcast during deer season, and I was telling him, I was like, well, if Dave lives around here, surely there's turkeys around here somewhere. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of my, like, I'll drive an hour and a half just to see if there's turkeys around there. I'm sure if, if this guy lives around here, then, hey, maybe there's turkeys here. Yeah. And so I go, right. up, I go up in there, and I'm in my kayak, and it's actually the first day I had my motor on my kayak. So it's a little bit loud. And, and I'm going in the water, just kind of like, man, I hope I didn't just waste my time. And I turn my motor off. I get to the, to the little creek where I'm about to get out at. I turn my motor off. And, I mean, there was a bird just hammering at the sound of my motor. Just like going nuts. And he was probably about, I don't know, 300 yards across a field from right. me. And so I was like, okay, well, that's good. There's turkeys here. And so I get out, and I was actually the, – the scenario was perfect. It was just a almost a natural scenario that I didn't realize was going to be perfect. And uh, I get out of the boat, and immediately, as soon as I stepped foot on dry land, a bird, a, a hen, flew off the roost right above me, right stinking above me. And I was like, crap. Well, that bird's still hammering across the field from me. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this might not be a bad thing. You know, he knows, chances are, if he's been gobbling like that, and probably last night there was some gobbling and some yelping and stuff from this hen uh, above me, and he was probably gobbling right back at her last night before they went to roost, he knows that there's supposed to be a hen in this area, and I just busted her out of here, and she's gone. She's yep. not even a part of our lives anymore. And uh, so I 
kind of got close to where she might pitch down at and ended up calling that bird all the way across that field straight to me right off the roost, and I missed him, but that's whatever. Oh. Yeah, it, it sucked. But uh, I, it was uh, – I don't know how I missed him, to be honest with you. It was, it was just bad. But uh, I think I ended up hitting some brush, like way too much brush that was in front of me. And uh, but I've thought about that yep. scenario a lot, man, and and thinking about how ticked I was that I spooked that hen off the roost because I was like, man, I wasn't trying to come here and spook any turkeys away, but and it really worked out because he thought that there was a hen over there. He didn't know that she spooked off. He thought yep. that she was over there, and he's been thinking all night about what he was going to do to get down there and get to that hen first thing in the morning, and uh, yep. and it worked out except for I sucked. And, and missed him. But, um, you know, I think that's a, a good tactic. You know, you don't always – you can't go in and plan for that. But if you bust hens or bust turkeys off of a roost, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, that's right. Because they're supposed to be there. And all you have to do is say – basically take their place. And, uh, and maybe there's a gobbler in the area that's going to come straight there because he knows there's supposed to be turkeys there. So I think that's kind of the yeah. same, you know, be smart, don't – don't start going crazy and trying to bust turkeys off the roost every morning. But um, yeah. if it does happen, it doesn't necessarily mean your hunt. So I see on a lot of forums, guys walking in, say, I was walking in and I, boosted, uh, I busted a whole bunch of deer. Is my hunt over? Well, no, because deer are supposed to be there. Like, they're there for a reason. That's right. Same thing with turkeys. Yep. Your hunt's not over. So yep. I think that's, uh, that's right. That's I think it's good. Point. Um. So we're kind of running short on time. We've been going uh, for a pretty good bit right here. Uh, is there any other scenarios, Drew, that I'm missing? I know there are some because there's endless amount of scenarios, but just main scenarios. You've got didn't hear a turkey, heard a turkey, uh, setting up on sign, blind calling. How close are you getting? Uh, what kind of calls are you doing right there? If he doesn't come to you right off the roost, you're going to go and cut him off. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Not really, man. The only other thing that I would say is anybody out there listening, you know, don't get discouraged if you're hunting turkeys that are hinned up. I know a lot of people get frustrated with that, and, you know, I'm no exception to that rule. I get frustrated when turkeys are hinned up, too. You know, um, these hens make our lives difficult. I'm not going to lie, but that's part of the game. So just, you know, so deal with it, you know, try to find a way to overcome that situation and that scenario. One thing that I've learned, you know, is, is if you can just stay close to that flock, especially towards the back of it, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a tough situation to, to make a loop and get in front of them, then just stay as close as you can right behind them. Just slowly moving, slowly moving, slowly moving, calling to them, you know. And then if they move a little further, you know, you get up and go closer and call again, you know. And hopefully the goal with that is, is that you get a bird, you know, if there's one or two gobblers, maybe you can pull one of those birds back. You know, I've had it work before and I've had it not work. But if you're in a situation where you can't get in front of them, that's a really good tactic that you can use and your hunt just not be over with. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think it's so, good, man. Just something about that. Heck yeah. So what we're going to do is we're we're pretty much done, but I'm going to ask you a speed round of questions. You don't have to go into depth on any of them, but, uh, you know, we kind of learned your process, your, your tactics, a little bit about your company and um, your life, just things like that. But I'm sure people are wondering – at least I am, what what kind of gear you use, uh, what's your favorite style of hunting, just things like that. So I'm going to ask you a speed round. Does that sound good? 
Let's do it. All right. First off, what kind of gun do you use? I shoot a Winchester SX3 20 gauge. 20 gauge. All right. Uh, what choke tube? Jebs. Jebs. 555. Jebs 555. That seems to be a pretty popular choice among turkey hunters yep. from what I'm seeing. Um, it's are, really tight, and so if you don't want something that's really tight, you want to, you know, especially if you if you hunt where birds are going to be close to you and you shoot them close, um, which is hopefully the goal. Hopefully we all try to get the bird as close as we can. Um, but it's really, really tight, you know, close. So if you want something a little, you know, a little bit more open, talk to the guys at Jibs, and they can uh, they can hook you up and, and recommend what you need to, you know, fit your setup. Perfect. All right. Um, so there's your gun. Uh, let's see here. What kind of loads, turkey loads, are you using? Yeah, so I shoot number nine or straight nine TSS. Uh, that's my preference. I know a lot of guys like the like the eight and nines or eight. You know, it's, it's whatever your preference is. I sh- I shot my gun. I know that it shoots very well with number nine TSS. I shoot Nitro Ammunition Company. Um, that's just the company that that I choose to shoot. Um, there's a lot of good companies out there. That's the one I shoot. I've had great luck with them, great experience, and uh, it patterns well out of my gun. But, again, every gun is different. You could take another Winchester, you know, SX320 gauge, and it's not going to pattern well with that gun. So shoot your gun and know what works out of your gun. Yeah, for sure. Hey, this isn't part of the speed round, but uh, what made you choose a 20 gauge over a 12 gauge? Uh, just how light it is, how easy it is to maneuver in the woods. Uh, honestly, uh, you talk to these guys that, you know, really do a lot with gun work. You talk to Rob Roberts. You talk to uh, Vic Coffin. Um, you talk to the guys at Some Toy Customs. A lot of them are really, really pushing 20 gauges because they see that they can get better patterns out of them than a 12 gauge. And that's what I found with my 20. I with my 12. And it's lighter. It's easier to carry in the woods. Um, it's not as bulky. All that stuff. That's why I went to a twenty. Okay, that, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. All right. So, wood bird, woods birds, or field birds? Woods, man. I grew up doing it. It's in my blood. I would much rather hear one gobble in the woods because it sounds. It's just got that rattle to him as as opposed to a field. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I shoot a field turkey any day of the week, but. If I had to pick, I'd, I'd, shoot, I'd rather shoot one in the woods. Okay. All right. Mouth call or diaphragm call, pot call, or box? Diaphragm all day. Diaphragm. I, mean, I run one probably 90% of the time when I hunt, um, so that's my preference. And you said you're you're usually using that legend. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Two-read batwing cut legend. Yep. Okay. All right. So kind of, I guess, going backwards a little bit. What's the furthest you will shoot at a turkey? Man, um, I shot one with my 20 at 60, 63 yards with the range finder. That's about pushing it for me. I don't want to do it past that. And I don't like shooting them that far. Um, I would much rather have them close than far. Um, but, but 60 yards is my max, man. I don't want to do anything past that. Okay. And, I'm, and it better be a clear shot. You know, I'm not shooting through a bunch of brush, especially at that distance. If I've got brush in front of me, shoot, man, I'm doing 45 yards probably. Okay. Have you uh, have you found that the TSS pattern's pretty good at 60 yards? I have, man. Um, it's got, you know, it's, it's it's just so heavy. You know, you still get that penetration at that distance, and you've got so many pellets going down range. You've got good opportunity. Heck yeah. So I yeah, I I've definitely found that to be the case. I've shot. 
I've shot mine at 40 yards, and last year I shot a bird um, that was pretty dang far away with the TSS, and it dropped him in his tracks. It was pretty awesome. But uh, So I'm yep. right there with you, especially with that tight constriction that you're using. You know, I mean, being able to get a good, solid pattern at 60 yards with the TSS is uh, definitely attainable for sure. All right. I would say one thing, kind of, kind of a, a you know, a caveat within that. If you're going to shoot a turkey that far, please, please, please pay attention. You know, make sure that your gun can do it. Make sure that the loads that you're shooting can do it, and make sure that you're, you know, doing justice by that animal. Don't take a shot, you know, that's going to be tough. You know, a bird that's strutting with his head tucked in him at 60 yards. You know, make sure that he's got that head, you know, all the way upright, and you've got a big kill range. You know, that's one of the things I've always been worried about with TSS is it gives us, you know, we can shoot. But within that, that probably is going to mean we're going to wound more birds. So please, whatever you do as a turkey hunter, do that animal the justice that he deserves and make a clean ethical shot. Yeah, man, completely agree with that for sure. All right, so grilled turkey breast or fried turkey nuggets? Fried turkey nuggets. I've always... When I've grilled it, I dry it out. I'm not a great grill master, so I fry my stuff because I know I can cook it and it's going to be good that way. So fried turkey nuggets. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. I've tried I've tried the grilled stuff just to try to be healthy and get my wife to eat it and all that stuff. And it's not bad. Yeah. Like, it still tastes good. And it's still That's nice right. to know that you killed the bird and you know exactly where that came from. But, man, it's tough to beat dipping it in that batter and putting oh. it in some oil. That's good stuff. That's right. That's right. So my supervisor, he gave me a recipe last year, and I haven't tried it yet, but it's a baked recipe. Um, I'll send it to you because I don't know it right off the top of my head, but if you want to post it up, um, a lot of people haven't baked a lot of turkey. This was phenomenal. Um, it had some boudin in it, had some bacon in it, and some other stuff, but it was really, really good. So needless to say, you can run that on your social media, and if anybody wants to check it out, I'll put it on put on the head stuff as well. So be sure to check that out. Heck yeah, heck yeah. All right, so... Uh, what kind of turkey vest are you, are you using, or are you even using one? Um, so, so right now, I, I just run a Cabela's. It's a Tater 3. They don't even really make them. It's actually a Super Tater 3. They don't even sell them anymore. Um, that's what I'm running right now. Uh, we'll see. You know, I'm always optimistic on what's going to come out uh, every single year, and, um, you know, that's a high-quality vest that I've used, and it, it's been good. It's got a really good cushion. Uh, to me, that's one of the biggest parts of a vest is a good cushion, so that's why I run the Cabela's. Okay, that's awesome. All right, last question, and uh, maybe the most controversial question on the Internet during turkey season. Will you shoot a Jake? I will not shoot a Jake, personally. Um, again, everybody's got their preference. Um you know, if a bird comes in and he's got a full roll gobble to him and he sticks his head up over a rock, have I shot one before? Absolutely, I've made, you know, um, you know. but if I know it's a Jake, my preference is to not kill it. There he is. There it is. That's, uh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, man. Well, Drew, I do appreciate you coming on the show, man. I know uh, we talked about a whole lot of stuff. In a short amount of time, I'm sure we could have talked for a lot longer. But uh, before you go, uh, let everybody know where they can find out more about you and your company. Yeah, man. So, so if you want to know more about us, if you want to 
quality call at a really good price with free shipping check out our website www.footonduhhead.com the da and duh stands for drew abel in case a lot of people didn't know that huh. uh, so that's pretty cool but you can also check us out on instagram and facebook as well uh, my phone number email address all that's on the website so if you want something or you have questions you know directly for me just you know hit me up on there and i'll be more than happy to help you out any way that i can do it Awesome. Well, Drew, thank you again for coming on the show, man. Hopefully we can talk again very soon. Definitely. Thank you for having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Man, that was an excellent conversation with my buddy Drew. Um, Again, guys, go check him out at Foot on the Head. Uh, Just doing some really, really cool stuff in the turkey call world. Man, I hope I hope you got a lot out of this uh, conversation. I know I did. I asked him questions based on questions that I've had every single time I step into the turkey woods based on different scenarios I've faced and wondered, what the heck do I do now? And uh, I, I think Drew answered those questions excellent. It, it, like I said, it makes it really easy to um, – not easy. Turkey hunting is never going to be easy. In case you're wondering, is this ever going to get easier? The answer is probably not. Turkey's – course do what turkeys want to do but it makes it easier in your mind to justify making certain moves based on the experiences of other people and that's why i think podcasts are so important is you can take the information take these scenarios that other people have been placed in and it at least if nothing else it gives you confidence that you're making the right move and as a lot of us know confidence is everything in the woods whether it's deer turkeys fish uh dove pigs whatever you're hunting confidence is the number one thing you need to have that confidence is super important. So, uh, yeah, again, check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Throughout turkey season, I'm going to be posting a ton of videos on there. They may not have kills. I don't kill a ton of turkeys. I'm not that great at it. But you will have content to watch there, as well as some other guys are pus- putting some really, really good stuff on there. I know Dan from Nine Finger Chronicles has been posting some videos on his scouting process, explaining some topography features and uh, and things like that. And then uh, Hybrid Outdoors. Uh, has been putting some really cool fishing videos on the channel. So go subscribe to that. You won't be disappointed. Check us out on Instagram at Southern Ground Hunting, on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting. And please, please, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, Doesn't matter what you say. You can say you hate us, say uh, the things that you don't like about Southern Ground. But what matters is that you put that five stars on there. So please, if nothing else, put that five stars right that you think Parker's a bozo. I don't care. Um, but if you like the show, you can say it there too. Uh, but those those reviews really help us out, guys. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be about it. If you're going to be in the woods this weekend or anytime soon, just remember this. God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next time.